I think we have just seen a situation in which a top quality bowling lineup, probably the best in the world alongside Australia for pace bowlers, that is, has been better than a batting lineup. And sometimes that happens, and it's certainly happened against England this week. Welcome back to Cricket Central, the podcast where we discuss all the stories, big and small. I'm here with Ethan Navod and Pearson today for the first time this year uh, that we've been able to uh, talk about how poor the English are um, once again, which uh, I'm sure is a relief to to me, um, Ethan and Navod, but not so much Pearson. Um, but it's good to have you all on again now. Ethan, how's uh, your week been? Oh, it, it's been a good week. I, I must say, perhaps not the same for you Carlton fans, but uh, certainly not the first time yeah. we've talked about the English being poor, but yeah, it is a nice, nice yeah. go back to normal. Yeah, that's right. Year was probably a bit far, but uh, four, four or five months, I'd say. Probably, yeah, since the West Indies series, at least, we can, we've been able to do it. Uh, Navad, um, what have you been up to this week? Come on, you've got to have something exciting to say this week, apart from your umbrella Nothing. breaking before. Oh, well, yeah, that's not, that's been there for a few months now, the, the broken umbrella. But yeah, nothing, nothing too exciting. Yeah, just the normal week of Navod, just assignments piling up now. But other than that, pretty normal. Oh, no, yeah. And Pearson? Yeah, no, I'm doing fine. Same as usual. I've got nothing more exciting to report than the others, other than you being factually inaccurate about a year since the last time that... We well, enjoyed failure. I'm quite. I didn't used say to it. a year. I said we've had as year. many. Fa- like would, in 2022, but yeah, we've uh, we've won well. less games than we've drawn and lost this year. So it's hardly like <laughs> it's just been success all year. But oh, I, I, I take your point in jest to some degree, <laughs> even if it's entirely inaccurate. <laughs> Well, the last 10 or so podcasts have been pretty positive for the English show, to say, apart with test cricket, at least. Yeah. Um, but uh, we'll... Maybe. Yeah, go back to, to normal now with that. Um, and then, of course, we've still got the 100 to discuss. It's still going strong. Um, and then uh, a couple of other stories coming out of the BBL um, as we get ready for that as well. Uh, but... Uh, to start off with that first test, um, I think coming into the match, really, you would have to say England were the major focus of attention, uh, with, with Basball being the story yet again, whether it would succeed for a fifth time. Um, and really, England was sort of set up as the aggressors, um, whereas South Africa, everyone was just talking, you know, how would they respond? Um, would they be able to cope with what England um, had to offer? Um, but then from the very first moment, um, the story completely changed, really, uh, from uh, South Africa winning the toss, putting England into bat for the first time under McCullum's reign. Um, and then one of the great opening days we saw uh, from their bowlers, Rabada, Jansen and Nagidi swinging at miles and then Norkie, um bowling one of the quickest spells of any bowler this year. Um, hopefully I, I'm not being too over the top with saying a year for that as well. You'll probably pull me up on that as well. But uh, anyway, uh, England all out for 165 in just a little over a day. Uh, Rabada got himself onto the honour roll with a Pfeiffer. Um, and then, you know, obviously at this point, South Africa had had a fantastic day and a half, but you sort of felt that England was still a good chance, especially against uh, an inexperienced South African uh, batting lineup. Um, but what they lacked in experience, they made up for in in spirit or or grit. Um, 
taking a 161-run lead um, with Erwi being uh, the star with, with 73 runs. And then, of course, that just left uh, an incredible rest of the day three uh, where they bowled England out for just 149, storming to an innings and 12-run victory, um, smashing the baseball uh, run of wins that they've had um, and getting things back to normal for the English. Uh, we'll, we'll get to specifics of the game later on, but Pearson, first off, your snap reaction. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a revert to normal. It was a weak batting lineup getting removed by a very high quality bowling lineup. We've seen this quite a few times in the last year or so. Admittedly, New Zealand and India against England were different styles of batting, but it was basically just a iffy batting lineup getting undone by some very high class bowling. I think South Africa batted well. I mean, it's not necessarily what a lot of people thought would happen. I admit I thought we'd whitewash the series. I think I said that in the last podcast. I don't think anyone on this podcast actually said England wouldn't win the series. So I don't think I was the only one in that regard. However, I think we have just seen a situation in which a top quality bowling lineup, probably the best in the world alongside Australia for pace bowlers, that is, has been better than a batting lineup. And sometimes that happens and it's certainly happened against England this week. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a good point you make there. And we can get to sort of the longer term things that it has to say about the two squads later on. But as you say, the, the number one thing to come out of the match was just how good South Africa were, in particular with their bowling, really that quartet that they've got um, up there with, with the best in the world, for sure, wouldn't you say, Navod? Oh, yeah, definitely. Their bowling attack is is really, really solid. Um, I'm always a, I'm always been a really big fan of, of South Africa's bowling lineup. Rabada was just absolutely fantastic. Firefair at Lords with some great figures as well, 2.73 economy. Um, just absolutely fantastic. And yeah, Marco Jansen as well, very good. Um, he's always he's quite a young player, I think. Um, and uh, he's he's got a lot of potential, definitely. So he's quite good. And I think Norkia just um there was some stat he he bowls like the fastest deliveries. Um eight, 80 of them were like faster than all of what England had, or something like that. Anyway, he was fast, was the point. But um it just really goes to show how valuable a really really raw pace but but still accurate bowler is uh in in a test lining uh test lineup really because you know we you have england has archer they have wood they have um ollie stone but they're all injured so they can't play but you know having someone like nokia just really shows you the value of that that raw pace that but accurate raw pace is what i might add so yeah you know we we've seen it with um with a few players in the past you know they've been quite quick but not quite accurate and they're not not been as effective but names like Brett Lee come to mind where, you know, you've got the raw pace and the raw accuracy um, and it's just, it just works. And I think Nokia is one of those bowlers. So definitely Rabada was the pick of the bowlers for me, but Nokia definitely gets a lot of credit there as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just looking at some stats of Rabada's career up until this point. Uh, and in his first 28 tests, he took 135 wickets at an average of 21.5 um, and which is, you know, not bad. Um but then in his next 17, um, he took 67 wickets. Uh, but then since the West Indies tour um, last year in eight tests, he's taken 48 wickets at an average of 16.8. Um, so 
he's uh, really coming to the, the top of his game and up there with, with Cummins and um, Boomer, um and some of the, the genuine stars uh, of the um, world of cricket, um, you definitely have to say. But as you say, got um, a lot of other bowlers to back him up as well. Uh, and then, Ethan, it was an, an interesting batting innings, as we said, with, except for Irwi, no one really went on with their innings that much. Um, but they just did their bit and sort of kept scoring despite um, what England uh, threw at them. Yeah, it was a strange batting performance from a, a lineup with some strange statistics, really. I mean, besides Elgar, no one in this lineup averages over 35 in Test cricket. And even Elgar himself averages just under 40. So it's a lineup that sort of screams of mediocrity and is carried by the bowlers. Um, that being said, I think the opening stand really set the foundation um, and was solid getting to 85. And then really it was just England applying pressure and, and figuring out the batsmen. Um, but, but everyone sort of did hang around for enough. There, there wasn't any sort of collapse. Um, and it was really what I found that the contributions from the tail that sort of put the game to rest because at, at six for 210, you, you sort of thought that if, if England could restrict South Africa to maybe 250 and even cough up even a, a hundred run lead, that they'd, they'd still be in the game given, given their previous chases. Um, but it was, it was just solid batting from Maharaj, Janssen and, and Nokia, who all, who overall contributed over a hundred runs in the end. And, and that goes down to, you know, both good application. I mean, we, we see too many tailenders just, just throw their wickets away, I think, sometimes in, in cricket. And that's certainly the, the route a team like New Zealand goes down. Um, and then a bit of, bit of slip from the England bowlers. I think their tactics towards tailenders have been questioned in the past. Um, and, and that sort of manifested in this test as well. Yeah, yeah, I saw a couple of things asking um, whether you can say that Janssen and Maharaj basballed the English um, in, in their performances there with some pretty quick-fire 40s. Um, but maybe we can probably switch on to the bowling side of things. Um, really, I thought the English bowled pretty well early on, Pearson, um, with Anderson and Broad. Got a bit unlucky there. I, I think there was... Um, a broad wicket. Oh, well, they thought it was a wicket, but it actually wasn't edged. And then we had another one with Anderson that was very similar. And then I think Crawley dropped someone at slip early on as well. Um, so they didn't get the breakthrough despite bowling well early. But then after that, just weren't really able to seize back control. Yeah, to be honest, I didn't think we bowled that badly at any given point. I thought, I mean, of course, Stokes was probably pick of the bowlers. I thought his spell late on, I think day two that would have been, was very impressive in recapturing some momentum. But I don't think you can really credit England's bowling for much of the reason behind why we lost. I think if you bat responsibly, you can reach a total like the one South Africa reached. I wouldn't suggest, as I said earlier, that South Africa massively overperformed what they should have with the bat. So I think, yes, we probably could have taken a few more wickets at times. And yes, it wasn't a great effort. Of course, it is a very Stokes thing, as we sort of have five slips in at 160 for two. But I don't think you can really fault the bowlers for effort. I didn't think we were spectacular by any means, but I thought we were okay. I thought... As I think most of us will agree, it was the batting that let us down. The bowling at times could have been more aggressive, could have been a bit one-paced at moments. But of course, injuries don't really help that. 
But ultimately, it's the batting that's lost us this game. So I wouldn't go too in deep on suggesting that we need to make wholesale changes to the bowling attack. Although Ollie Robinson's re potential return could be useful. Mm, yeah, for once, you the sense you got was that it was the South Africans and not the English who were getting the most out of the conditions and swinging it, though, you would have to say, wouldn't you? Oh, very much so. Yeah. Yeah, very, yeah. very much so. They were, cons I mean... I mean, the fact they won by an innings despite barely passing 300, I'm not sure exactly what score they did get to, does suggest that they probably bowled a bit better than us. You know, they, they did bowl well. I thought Norkiev's spell in the third innings or third and final innings of the match was one of the best spells I've seen on English soil for a while. Up there, probably not at the same standard, but not far off Bumra's spell at the Oval last summer. So it was very impressive bowling. I'll certainly give them that. Again, we weren't poor, but South Africa were just better. And I think that goes not just in the bowling, but across all three parts of the game. Yeah, yeah. And no, I think it's a good sign of how well Nokia was bowling that um, it basically just beat Bairstow for, for pace um, when Bairstow was actually looking all right in his first few shots. So, yeah, incredible performance there. Finally, on England's bowlers, I just wanted to ask about Potts. Um, I think 3.94 he went at um, at his economy rate. Um, and did he take a wicket? I don't know. Maybe he took one. Um, oh, he took two wickets, but not a great, not a great performance by him. Will he be the one? To, most people think it will be broad to come in uh, to go out, but could it be a chance that Potts is the one to uh, for uh, Robinson to come in for? I mean, yes, but. Every bowler has some poor performances in their career. Potts has had a very good start to his career. I don't think you can go, I have one poor innings, therefore we must drop him and never see him again. I do think just overall, being the fact he's about 10 years younger and a bit quicker, he has a more long-term strength in a way that Broad probably doesn't. So I do think as players slowly return from injury, Robinson this series, players like Archer, would um i don't know wokes would be another example further down the line they will pose challenges i think that should be to 35 year old stuart broad rather than 25 year old matt Potts. that's not to suggest he has to stay for the next test i wouldn't be surprised if he got dropped i think if broad got dropped that would be the final straw and we'd see him retire and from what i've read that's not what they want to happen so it may well be Potts, but I think that would be almost too harsh on him for having his first poor innings in an entire test career. Yeah, no, that's probably fair enough. But, yeah, it would be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, on the batting side of things, as we've said, it was the big story, um, English England's failures. Um, Ethan, do you think, uh, you know, it's always the big question of how much do you say was just good bowling and how much bad batting? Um, but I think one thing you can definitely say um, is that when Ruta and Bairstow don't perform, um, England still um, have some real problems in that order. Yeah, that, that's, that's the big takeaway, isn't it? And I think we were, going into this test, we were sceptical of, of Basball, if, if England were required to bat first. And I mean, we, we saw that, that case come about and we didn't really see a whole lot of Basball, to be honest. I mean, Pope... Pope played pretty well at number three, but I don't think looking through that list, you'd, you'd say any anyone really got 
got going. I mean, Stuart Broad was England's second highest scorer for for the match, and, and there wasn't a whole lot of you know, stroke play and uh, and shots. Um, but you're very right. This this England lineup does seem very fragile, particularly if you can dismiss Root and Bairstow. I didn't mention this earlier, actually, but I was at the uh, Sporting Globe um, for for day one, and they had a little uh, a little screen at the edge of our table. So I, I secluded myself from the conversation. I was just watching English wickets fall all night. But it, it just seemed like the wickets kept kept ticking over and no one was really there to apply themselves. And I think that's where England have been so dependent on players like Root and in the last couple of series, Bairstow as well, to really get them going and allow them to cash in later. Yeah, there was an amazing stat um, that Vass Ship actually sent me. Um, so it's a positive thing we're talking about Vass here. He's... He got a bit annoyed last week that um, we got into his take about Zimbabwe. So, sorry, Vass, we'll give you some positive praise this week. Um, but it was that um, when Joe Root uh, fails twice in a match, um, England haven't won uh, for more than two years. Uh, so, yeah. Um, yeah, oh, they haven't won when I mean, he's look, not okay, I'm, 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 I have to respond to this. <laughs> Considering the person that said it and the stat, I feel obligated to give a response here. One, what constitutes a failure? And two, surely it's not not difficult to work out that if your best batsman fails twice, you probably don't score as many runs. No, England have probably won about five games. If and Smith got hit by a bus, you probably don't hit 500. But that's This is hardly groundbreaking, is it? No, no, it's your two best batsmen batsman. fail. You probably two. lose. We're not saying two. We're oh, saying well, one. No, the best stat is this is clearly one. triggered. No, triggered Pearson. Yeah. Yes, because <laughs> I, I think it's stupid to suggest that when your best batsman fails, you lose. Of course, no, you do because he's your main run. That stat. That stat. It's not like been... oh, your best batsman fails and you do better. No I mean, one's saying that. That's India with Barrett Coley. <laughs> True. Yeah, no one's saying okay, that. Okay, actually, a good point. Yeah, I'll accept that. But no one's saying <laughs> that, that you do better. But, what, but what's, normally, the, what's the argument they haven't that we won. do worse when our batsman that averages 50 you're, you're doesn't a one score man 50 team No one's saying, yeah, they're so one is man. every team with a world-class batsman. Well, I we'll think this up, whole idea is we'll work it out for next. We'll work it out for next week, but I'm sure... That if you look at other teams around the world, Australia, India, or New Zealand, if you took out just Williamson or, or Smith, or just one batsman, well, then they would have won at least one match in two years. So it's obvious. Yes, it's yeah, but that's you know. because we didn't win any matches for two years, regardless <laughs> of him performing until two months ago. That's that's the truth. Keep in mind that yeah, well, that, yeah, that's true. The New Zealand <laughs> series in June, we won one test in seventeen. And Root had arguably the greatest golden patch of his career. It's not just when he fails. We're just not very good, I think, is the issue. Yeah, I wouldn't well, blame it right. solely on Root here. No one's blaming I, it on Root. I think, I think that's an unfair statistic against Joe. It's not against <laughs> Joe Root. It's against your team that that happens. But um, no, I, I take your yeah, point. There are other team. other issues. Anyway, look, I'll, I'll be quiet, and we can we can move on. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm disappointed in both of you. <laughs> this, this was supposed to be a, a, a defensive bat in his stats, and Pearson's gone harder than when Bass was asked to remove Zimbabwe from Test cricket. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyway, yeah, probably time to move on for that. Um, <laughs> the next question I was going to ask that Ethan alluded to was. Uh, what does 
um, this performance really have to say about baseball um, in general? Is it sort of a um, a mark against against it, or do you subscribe to what um, McCullum sort of suggested that they didn't actually go hard enough, and that was the problem um, with their batting? Navad, uh, what do you think? I don't think it's the end of of baseball. Um, I think it's just it's just one game that they've lost out of you know the six that they've played so far. So it's it's too early to say that. I will say I did. When I was watching the test, I did sort of criticise England's um, strategy that they took uh, when they were batting in that innings. I thought, you know, um, what's his face? Uh, Stokes, that's his name. Stokes was, was quite aggressive and I don't, it's, he seemed quite quite well, same with Broad. But I, I think in the moment of the game, the position that they were, they could have... They had, it was like day three, right? Day three. They could have played a little bit less aggressive, I thought, and just play the game and, and try and get at least some sort of lead. Yes, it probably would have still ended the same, but I think they were just a little bit too aggressive in their approach. And that was one of the, my criticisms. So I'm not sure if this is under baseball necessarily, but I think it's still quite a young um, sort of technique, I guess, to playing test cricket. So we'll see how it goes. Um, obviously, it's not representative of what they've done. They've obviously had a lot of success in the five tests that they've played before. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, that was just my one critique, uh, which possibly could have been added to uh, the under the baseball umbrella. Yeah. Do you, do you think they at least have to bat slightly different when they're batting first, Pearson? No, honestly, no. I just don't think we're that good. I mean, I think, like we say, because Jeffrey Boycott, put out an article in an English paper this morning, I'm not sure which, saying if we're to have a hope in the ashes, we need to abandon baseball and be conservative again. I mean, look where that got us. We got one win in 17, as I keep saying. We've now got, yes, we lost. We did win four in a row before that. It's about finding the limits of these things. It's like the early days of the Morgan era. Of Sometimes you push too hard against a side that's a bit too good and it doesn't work out. I do agree with the logic that it's easier batting second because you know what you're working at. Same reason England chase better in ODIs is they know the rate they have to go at. Same thing goes for tests. If you need to get to 400, you work for 400. But I think saying, oh, that's been Basball, Basball's a failure. It's no, it's too reactionary for one poor test match is my reaction. So yes, it probably sometimes crosses the line i thought it did at multiple occasions this test but i wouldn't necessarily say that's basball's fault i think that's just a poor performance and that happens yeah no i actually probably agree with that and as i said before i think the majority of the credit for this match just has to be of how well south africa played i don't think england were expecting it so much the aggression that south africa um showed so i wouldn't be surprised if england go out and win the next two tests really um, you know, it, it could definitely happen. There's no ingrained problem there. But uh, Ethan, um, do you think a situation like that could happen as well? Or, or uh, you know, is there something deeper here? Yeah, I think more of the same. I think the when baseball's worked best, it's been in the fourth innings chasing large totals on, on decks that they're comfortable with under relatively easy batting conditions. I think with this aggressive approach, we always wondered what would happen in extremely challenging conditions where sometimes you do have to just grit it out and survive a really tough spell of bowling. And we haven't really gotten the brunt of that in the last sort of four tests. Um, but, but South Africa certainly brought that this test with, you know, prodigious movement, 
um, and pace as well. And, and really, England couldn't get their, their strokes away. Um, you know, bit, barely a bowler when it, at more than four. And then besides Nokia, who always, always will leak runs. Um, and so it's, it's an interesting one because it, it hasn't worked on any fronts, uh, in, in this example. But yeah, you're right. If, if we get pitches which are a little bit more benign, then I, I fully expect England to be able to, you know, produce some 300 scores. Um, and if they can take it to the fourth innings and, and get themselves in a position that they're, more comfortable with with this technique then you'd back them yeah yeah i thought south africa's captaincy elgar's captaincy was um quite smart as well in that second innings england started to get a little bit comfortable with uh against ngidi and rabana but then he brought on uh, maharaj for the for the first time in the match and you sort of thought at the time why is he he doing this but it, it worked a, a treat because um both um crawley um, and then Pope tried to go after him a little bit, um, uh, but then got out. Uh, Pearson and Navod, just as I asked to Ethan, uh, does this change your predictions for the rest of the summer? Well, well obviously it changes your prediction, Pearson, because he said it would be a whitewash, but do you still think England can come back and win? Uh, well, um, I'll go first. No, I think we'll lose 3-0. I'm being totally reactionary. <laughs> I think I think everything this is, is the most English thing I've ever heard, and it will be three nil. Yeah, no, we've not got a chance. If we don't, if we can avoid an innings defeat in one of the tests, I'll be happy. No, three nil. Oh, I reckon. Um, I reckon next test, England win. He'll say they'll they'll win the rest of the series. So that's no, I, no, no I think... one poor performance <laughs> exactly. is enough to like ruin my year. So we won't win another game. We'll lose three nil, lose three nil to Pakistan, and McCullum will get sacked, and that'll be the end of baseball. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> Bring back silver, reinstate boycott, and get some blocking going. <laughs> I have, to be fair, I have time for that. Yeah. Oh, uh, I hope so. It takes like fifty years for anyone to hit a run. <laughs> fair point. Well, that's all right. If we don't lose, we if we draw, we don't lose. That's still an improvement. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'll say I would take five draws in five games than four wins and a loss. Controversial, oh, but I'd back that. <laughs> but that's because I like you'll, boring. You'll, you'll never have the ashes back in your hand. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but if we can grind out a one nil win across the five match series, I'd be very content. Well, this is like nineteen sixty style cricket or something. Yeah, but um, Navod, mm. do you think England will come back yeah, and win the series? Right. Mm, winning the series is a little bit tougher now. I think they'll definitely win at least one one of the two tests then, for, for sure. So, yeah, yeah hopefully yeah. that'll happen. I reckon maybe the last test, uh, that's a good shot. People, you know, teams usually win the last of the series. I don't know, that's a trend with Sri Lanka at least. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Hopefully at least one, but, yeah. Yeah. Is it is it Old Trafford next? Or what's the next? I don't know. If we, yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. All right. It oh, is Old yeah, Trafford. Yeah, it is. It should be flatter and it should turn a bit more and move a bit less for the seamers. So okay. it could be an it should be closer than this one. I mean, not that the bar is high, but it should be an interesting game. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It'll be hopefully at least uh, at least four days. I saw that um, Piers Morgan, uh, uh, English personality, uh, um, was had got tickets um, for day four of the test and had come all the way across from Los Angeles ready to go on day four, um, only for there not to be a day four. So I'm sure many people would be quite pleased um, that that happened to him. But anyway, we won't get into that. 
Uh, just before we do move on from um, that much, I also saw one final stat here. Hopefully, Pearson doesn't pull herself on this stat as well. But um, Rabada is the um, the he's the first fast bowler to take a test wicket every 40 balls, which is the lowest strike rate of anyone to take 100 wickets since 1900. Um, so, yeah, uh, really coming into his own um, at this stage of his career uh, there, Rabada. Okay, we'll get on to the 100 in a second, uh, but a couple of other smaller stories. Obviously, we had Warner um, signing a, a multi-year deal with the Sydney Thunder, um, which uh, every, I'm sure Cricket Australia were very pleased about. So good to see him back in the BBL. Uh, then we also had Zimbabwe get absolutely smashed in the first two one-day matches against India. Uh, but then in the final one with a um, Sekunda Raza century, um, had a, gave India a bit of a scare, Ethan. Yeah, it was... Uh, well. I think last week Pearson predicted that the Zimbabwe-Australia ODI series would end in crippling defeats in every single game for Zimbabwe. And based on how the first two games of this uh, India-Zimbabwe series were going, I, I thought that actually turned out to be quite a, an intelligent pr prediction. Uh, what we got the Sekunda Raza show in Game 3 is India posted 289 for 8 and Zimbabwe fell just 13 runs short. Uh, it was 115 off 95. Uh, we spoke about England being a one-man team, but I think we know Zimbabwe are, are, are the real one-man side. So it, it does seem that if Australia can figure out how to dismiss the man, the myth, the legend, Sikanda Raza in all three games, then, yep, they, they should be pretty, pretty comfortable games there. Okay, well, it was a, another interesting week um, in the 100. Uh, most notably, we had another record being broken. Um, with the Manchester Originals recording the highest total of 208 runs uh, against the Northern Superchargers. Um, Salt, Evans and Stubbs all passed 40 uh, with strike rates over 200 um, to lead the way there. Uh, but the highlight for me was Harry Brook um, with probably the, the best catch I've ever seen um, in the deep, uh, at least, um, to dismiss Salt. Um, ran about 20 metres and dived forward that full stretch, unbelievable. Have to look it up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah very impressive effort. But um, yeah, uh, apart from that, some other big performances this week. Uh, but Navod, what's caught your attention? Yeah, I think uh, Southern Brave getting there. I think it's the second win of the the tournament so far. They won. We won the first game, and now we've won against the Welsh Fire. Albeit they are the weakest side of of all the teams, but. Um, wins a win, so you take that. Um, no, I thought we played really well. George Garden was uh, was really, really incredible. Um, I think he had, if I just bring it up now, he had a, well, it's not an economy, but run per ball of 0 0.46, which was absolutely incredible. So uh, three wicket ball for him. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just really like George Garden. His action, if anyone's seen it, there's some great photos out there. Looks like he's, at, at one point in his action, he's off the ground. It's like he's taking off. Like a, like a bird, he's, he's spreading his wings. So, uh, no, just big fan of him. Paul Sterling, 74 42, was, was an absolutely brilliant knock. Um, so yeah, really happy for the Southern Brave. I think we we played quite well. Uh, it is a weak side, Welsh fire. Um, uh, Joe Clark didn't do quite well. Um, although I'm a big fan of him as well. Um, yeah, not, no one really did much in that game for the Welsh fire, but definitely, yeah, Paul Sterling, even Tim David with a 10 off three. That's a some fantastic numbers there. There you go. But um, no, I thought we played well. 
Yeah, yeah, no, um, George Garden, three wickets in the first seven balls of the match. Um, so that really got you off to the, the perfect start um, you could hope for there. Uh, Ethan, how about you? <laughs> anything? <laughs> anything? Uh, I think you've me? picked the wrong person to go to, considering <laughs> he's muted and laughing. So I'll, I'll, I'll take control here. <laughs> um, I must admit, I don't rate George Garden as highly as Navod does. I do I do think he's a solid cricketer. I do quite enjoy his action, but other than this game, I've never really seen him perform in a good quality tournament. I mean, you look at the big bash, he got behind all the strikers and lasted about two games before getting dropped for RCB. I will second Navod's call of Paul Sterling. However, I think he's great. I think he's the best international to never play in the IPL, in the IPL era, this is. And I think that's an unfortunate aspect of him being Irish, perhaps, but he's been excellent. Of course, this was the first game he's played all season, and he's scored the most runs of any player in a oh so not of any player of any international this tournament so he's clearly doing well uh i am i must admit on an aside i'm pleased you mentioned brooks catch because he also went out for a golden duck that game which is where i thought you were going to take that so i'm i'm pleased with where that ended up but it's, it's been an interesting season i think milan is the only unique player i might bring up if he's had a very good year and i think probably done enough to solidify his place going forward into the t20 world cup in a side that arguably are the strongest in the tournament and have won every game. Yeah, yeah, no, he, he's looking really good. And yeah, all their batsmen are performing well. Um, another thing, Adam Hose um, is another batsman who's performed well this week. I think 250s he's got. And I was just looking at the Northern Superchargers scorecard and they've got Hose, Brook and Rain um, all in the same team. So a very watery theme you would would have to say there. I found that quite interesting, as much as the same way as Navod finds things interesting, I think. But um, anyway, um, Ethan, how about you? Any performances have caught your eye? Oh, the Manchester Originals seem like they're, they're getting a bit of momentum going. I think they started their season with three losses and they're onto three uh, wins on, on the trot now. And, and they've been quite dominant in a, in a couple of games and, and it's really been their batting that's that's been their firepower um and so that now into the into the top three um so it'll be interesting to see if they can keep keep the form going on and, and they've certainly been the team that looks like posting uh the the biggest totals i mean who would have thought laurie evans is hitting 45 off 19 and they've, they've certainly got a lineup which is a lot of power not not so much glue so I mean, it'll be interesting to see if that can develop any momentum and consistency. Uh, and if so, they look like they can take on pretty much anyone. Um, but yeah, as, as Pearson mentioned, to me, the Trent Rockets look like the, the team to beat. They're currently sitting top of the table and, and they seem to have pretty much a complete side. Yeah, and the Trent Rockets um, beating the London Spirit, handing them their, their first defeat, um, a defeat. Obviously, Owen Morgan leading them. Um Leading the London Spirit, sorry, it's a bit confusing there. Uh, and yeah, for the Trent Rockets, Rashid Khan took three, Colin Munro, 67 of 37. So a couple of teams coming into some good form uh, in this part of the season. Um, another 
good performance for the originals. Andre Russell, 64 of 23. He got and Josh Butler, 68 of 42 in the same game. So when those two fire, um, they definitely look pretty good. Then the final thing I might add was just on the Australian side of things, we didn't have too much this week. Um, McDermott made a handy 30. Um, and Daniel Sams went back um, to what I think is his usual style of playing cricket and went for, for two runs a ball um, in a Trent Rockets win over the over Invincibles. So disappointing from Daniel Sams there. Um, but that's about it from the 100, I think. Anyone know how much longer it goes for, Pearson? <laughs> I mean, look, I must admit I'm not certain either. I think it's everyone plays each other once which would mean seven games a side. At the moment, every side has played five or six games, so we are nearing the end. As Ethan has just informed us, the final is on the 4th of September, which is maximum two weeks away from now. So I would imagine that means there's not long to go. We're well past halfway, is the thing to note. There's one to two regular season games per side. And then we're into the finals. I think two of the eight have already been knocked out. So we must be yeah. nearing some sort of conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Is it, I'm guessing it's top four going in the finals. That would make sense. So at the moment, we've got Trent Rockets, London Spirit, Manchester Originals, and the Oval Invincibles in there. But the Birmingham Phoenix are equal with the Invincibles on three wins, two losses, just behind on net run rate. So that's going to be quite close. The Superchargers and Brave. Uh, on two wins, four losses. So yeah, I don't know that. What yeah, they, I'm not sure if they're knocked out, but they definitely, they probably can't make it. So probably it's a five-way competition at the moment. Um, you'll have to say, oh, top three make finals. You're saying now, yeah, Pearson. How does that work? Yeah, so top three make the finals. Um, second plays third, and the winner of that oh. plays first. Oh, okay. So there's a lot of benefit to finishing top because you get an automatic ascension into the finals. That's why things like percentage, particularly regarding the current top two, where I believe uh, Trent Rockets and London Spirit are becoming an important thing. Trent Rockets win against them the other week could guarantee them top. So, mm. yeah, it's an unusual format, but at least it means only two games in the finals, which is preferable to the Australian T20 variant of the tournament that has about 100 finals games. Yeah, well, it's definitely going to be a, a tight finish um, to the year then with only three teams. Okay, I think the final topic um, worth discussing um, was one that Navod's paid a bit of attention to this week, which is good. Um, the West Indies, uh, New Zealand one day series uh they uh new zealand won two one um and some more missed chances from from the windies was it Navad? yeah definitely i think i mentioned this on a previous podcast west indies is one of those teams currently that has a lot of potential especially in their their batting lineup in the opening um opening four or five i think they have a lot of potential but it's just whether they reap that potential or not and you could really see it um in yeah in the first game and even in this last game there were some really good batting performances in this last game Kyle Mayo's had an absolutely fantastic knock it was really 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 quality cricket um 105 of 110 um it was just a really good innings and and Puran the captain leading by example was was even better 91 of 55 which is it was just ridiculous he was smashing them out of the park um absolutely fantastic watch but then 
you look at the other players, uh, Brandon King, Shamar Brooks, they're players who definitely have the capability, but just not performing. One off two for Brandon King and, and two off eight for Shamar Brooks. So it's just really disappointing to see, you know, only half of the team really pre- uh, performing. A little bit like England, I guess you could say, but um, in a different way. Um, I think, yeah, definitely there's there's so much potential there. They, they did end up hitting uh, 301, but then their other disappointment came, which was their fielding. There were so many missed chances, drop catches, that I just thought if they took the time and, you know, just thought about it before, you know, going into the action they decided to do when catching, they could have easily caught those. Crucially, I think Daryl Mitchell's wicket, they had him on early 20s. And then, um, yeah, they just dropped him. And now, and then he scored 63 off 49. And that was really crucial for um, New Zealand's uh, chase of that 301. So it's just small mistakes that I think they're, they're really making. And I think I made this comment as well. They just need to really fix up their fundamentals. And then once they... Uh, fix that then they're all good but um, yeah for now it was just really disappointing but I think West Indies definitely have that the potential to be good and, and win more games and, and win more series but um, there's just a few fundamental mistakes that I think they're making which really lets them down. Pearson you're not you weren't too impressed with the show hopes 51 off 100. No it was dreadful they needed I mean the only reason they had a competitive total was poor arms struck at about 150 and hit a cent and hit 90 something if they hadn't had that they would be looking at 260 at best and on what was a fairly flat track that was very par at best a 301 let alone a 260 I think Shoy Hope averages a ridiculous figure in ODI cricket. I might need confirmation on that, but his numbers are very strong. If that's because he's hitting 50s at a test match strike rate, that's not good. Yeah, as Ethan has just said, he averages 49 in ODI cricket, which are excellent numbers, but if that's because he's striking at such a slow rate, that's quite concerning. He does seem... a I mean, he is a solid player. I can only besmirch him so far. However, I would say that was way too slow. I think he needs to up his tempo, particularly on a pitch where 300 is chaseable with two and a half overs to spare. Yeah, yeah. there was a, a player in seniors cricket for my team of Clifton Hill who was like that in the 2020 match. He would open up the batting and then bat for the whole time and make about 50 right on the, in the last over. Um, that would be it and basically guarantee we lost the game but you would have another 50 to his name so that's all that's all that matters um that uh, West Indies loss was quite consequential in the end though because um they've now played all 24 games um in the Super League um and only recorded nine wins from that so that means they're they're seventh um at the moment with eight places um going into getting the automatic qualification for the World Cup. Uh, but then Australia is in eighth place and we still have 12 matches remaining, um, many of them against the likes of Zimbabwe, where we'll expect to pick up at least two wins probably. So we're all almost guaranteed to jump ahead of them. Um, but then in ninth to 12th place, um, Sri Lanka only need to win three of their final six matches um, to, to get ahead of the West Indies. Um, and then that would knock them out of the automatic qualification. Um, and then South Africa would only have to win five of their final eight matches as well. So if any one of those happens, uh, they won't get automatically at automatic qualification. We'll have to 
go um, and play the likes of probably Ireland and a few other teams to do that as well. So, um, yeah, might have to do it the long way uh, for the West Indies. We thought that might happen to South Africa, but, um, you know, the way they're playing probably probably won't. Okay, was there anything else we had to discuss here today, guys? No, I think that covered everything, unless someone yeah. else has something to add. Yeah, yeah. I still I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, that's good. I still have on to of... this match, Pearson. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think there's anyone else to besmirch. <laughs> Maybe Navod for liking a certain Welsh fire opener, but beyond that, no. I think all is good. Yeah, well, the listeners, I'm sure, can look up the stories about uh, Joe Clark there. But uh, anyway, we don't need to bring it up. All right. Well, it's eleven ten here, so yeah, our listeners should be very happy with us for getting another podcast out. Um, but uh, have a good week, guys. Yeah, as Thank as you. you. <laughs> Still haven't thought of a good ending to this to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you all for listening. Uh, we will see you next week, and goodbye.